All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 93. Go back in time. The Peter Nedved edition of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger. Welcome in uh, Frank Saravalli. Frank, happy new year. How you doing? I'm good. I uh, can't remember. This maybe sounds odd to say a more anxiety riddled holiday break like everyone was going through this at some point in their house do we have our grandparents over let's try and not kill our grandparents uh all all those different conversations uh trying to keep everyone safe and healthy through the holidays it was man it was an interesting time as this variant has spread around the globe like wildfire yeah do you have uh do you have rapid tests readily available in philadelphia yeah, I mean, try and test as much as you can. I think the problem was, and we we missed out on so many family members joining us for Christmas because they had COVID. My brother had COVID. My dad had COVID. Almost everyone on um, my wife's side of the family, they had COVID. And the scary part about the rapid test here was that people were testing negative for two days and then finally testing positive. So it gave some people a false sense of security that, you know, that they had been negative, that they could continue to go out. And even though they were having and experiencing symptoms. So, uh, it was, man, it was crazy here. Mm, yikes. Well, that's unfortunate. It was, it was only minus 30 in Edmonton. Is that it? The entire week. Uh, <laughs> we had a reprieve yesterday of minus eight, which worked out perfect for the farmer and me. Cause I got to feed all my cows as they were 
empty, but uh, now we're back into the deep freeze for another week again here. It's uh, going to be minus 35 to minus 38 overnight uh, tonight through till Thursday. So it's uh, I can't even comprehend rare time, what that rare means. Time. It's uh, geez, the uh, Oiler fans think their team's cold while well, the, uh, the weather is just as cold. I, I was watching the Winter Classic and it was exceptionally warm on New Year's Day in the Philly area. 63 degrees, I think it hit at some point which was like setting a record. And so you, you, you break out the calculator. It was like minus seven at puck drop. There's a 70 degree difference in Fahrenheit between Philadelphia, the New York area and Minnesota where the game was being played. It was crazy. Yeah, no, it, uh, Kind of a, a a strange time. So oh, for people who are wondering, for our American viewers, uh, minus 35 Celsius is minus 31 Fahrenheit. So just yeah, in case Fahrenheit you know. Celsius meet at minus 40. So yeah, so just just in case they're curious, it's it's damn cold uh, right now. But uh, there is lots to uh, to discuss. Um, what speaking? Let's start there with the outdoor classic. Um, the uh, the wild. Um, Zuccarello didn't mince his words, thought they were terrible uh, afterwards. Uh, the Wild have suddenly lost five in a row. And hey, even good teams go through dips. Uh, they're going through one right now. But w- what did you make of the, the Camp Talbot? Did he get hurt in the game or was he hurt before the game? Because that, that, I don't know, just seemed a little odd. Yeah, it definitely did to hear them announce the injury after letting up six. Did the injury occur during the game and that helped you know, sort of lead the St. Louis blues to more goals. Was this something that he had lingering a little bit beforehand that ultimately, you know, did the men in this game and he just wanted the chance to start in the winter classic, I guess we'll find out here in the coming days. I think the only disappointing thing for the wild is just that aside from Cam Talbot's injury, that they weren't at full strength. Otherwise, I mean, you take Jared Spurgeon out, you take Jonas Brodeen out, um, you know, Erickson Eck missed the game as well. Uh, that's a pretty significant chunk of, of the Minnesota wild to, to rip off for one game, especially one that they'd been building for, for so long that, um, you know, you were looking to see at least in terms of points, two of the top teams in the central and, you know, the game ends up being a little bit disappointing. The scenery though was unbelievable. I thought, for my money, watching at home, that was the best looking winter classic that the NHL has ever put on. Yeah, well, you know, the the weather, uh, I always actually think a little bit of cold weather adds to it and and, and it allows it to, to look a little bit better just because you get the feel of the outdoor. Um, you know, the St. Louis Blues showing up in, in beachwear, I thought was quite funny. Uh, I, I think you have to make it a big event. And so if you know you're going to be cold, and I, I don't know if I got to play in the world's longest hockey game, which is outdoors for mm-hmm. uh, 240. That's on my bucket list, by the way. Consecutive hours. And uh, I can tell you now, we, we played with with all sorts of weather. It started out, it was too hot, so the ice was melting. You couldn't even glide. You had to take every stride, which sucked. And then it got to the point where it was minus 30 some nights. So it uh, it is one where it becomes, I think, for players, just a mental one. If it's going to be cold, and uh, you got to play the game. You got to think back to when you're a kid. Cause I will say when you're kids, I don't know if we just run hotter or we just don't care as much because you just don't care. Yeah. Uh, you know, kids, you play outside and it's a lot of fun. And I thought the blues kind of took a, a really good approach to it to say, Hey, you know what? We're going to have fun. And uh, obviously I'm not saying that that resulted in why they dominated, but they went in with a good attitude and it resulted in a good win. Yeah. No, the attitude was on display from the second they got off the bus uh, wearing that beach apparel that they did really funny given how cold it was. And um, 
You know, it's just interesting hearing some of the stories along the way. Dean Evison, Thompson, Manitoba, way up there. He didn't play any indoor hockey at all until he was yeah. age 11. Yeah. I mean, like that is like legit cold. Uh, someone that's used to it. Um, I, you know, I was wondering how the fans would cope. That's the coldest outdoor game that the NHL has played. It was even colder than the one in Edmonton back in 2003. And the fans, despite being a blowout, had they stayed in the stands. Not only that, but you could see them, you know, jumping up and down, dancing late in the third period of a game that began the period down 6-2 for the home team, uh, and they hung with it. They loved it. So uh, certainly not going to scare off Minnesotans with some cold, but, geez, um, I think if you're a player, you're thinking, I don't know, is this the ideal environment? Uh, some guys loved it. I'm sure other guys, probably not so much the heated benches, extra short shifts in that game. Well, I'll say this, the, uh, the blues players loved it a lot more. The cold doesn't yeah. bother you when you're winning six two nearly as much as you, I, I would think the Minnesota wild players who were just like, let's get out of here as, uh, as quick as we can. And you know what the, the St. Louis blues, Frank, the only team in the national hockey league who has a winning record when the other team scores first. The only team in the league, the blues are, the blues are good right now. And, and they're good in a lot of, a lot of areas. And uh, on the, on the side of the blues, I want to do that as a segue because uh, they know how to, how to come back. And it's not ideal. Let me get that straight. No, I don't care if you're the, the league's top team, like Washington, or you're one of the worst teams in the league or a middle of the road team. Most teams are not nearly as good when they give up the first goal. And uh, if you want to look at the Edmonton Oilers, number one reason why they are struggling right now, they've only scored first in four of their last 23 hockey games. Four <laughs> times. I wonder if they get a lot, you know, not to, I know you wanted to jump to the Oilers, but there was one thing that struck me watching that Winter Classic as the Blues started to give up some goals in the third period. They had the coaches mic'd up. And so during the timeout, Craig Berube you know, he was just stressing fundamentals, but then at the end, he had this sort of calming influence. He just said, we're fine. Settle down. They'd given up a, a, a few goals to make it six, four and Minnesota had controlled play all period. And you're thinking, okay, maybe this is an opportunity, odd circumstance. They had a ton of chances. Maybe they find a way to tie it up uh, in the dying seconds of regulation and the whole, we're fine. I, I thought that was such a strong, two simple words but such a strong message to send to your team that maybe when they're down early, there's no panic then either. Yeah. Well, smart by a coach, right? I think you have to, be. I, I think people believe if you give up a few goals, the coach just starts freaking out on you. Well, that doesn't work in any walk of life. So I think most times coaches are going to be calm and they, they, they know how to read their team. If you got a big lead, you give up a goal or two. Yeah, it sucks. But having the coach suddenly freak out probably isn't going to be the, uh, the best plan. And then the blues are, Blues are a good team right now, Frank. I think quietly the Blues have, have have been the team that, you know, some people thought maybe they would slide back a bit this year, but what are they? They're leading the the uh, the Central Division now, and they're rolling. You know who's right behind them in points? The Nashville Predators. Scott Burnside had a story on Daily Faceoff just uh, over the holidays about the Predators' resurgence, and, you know, you look at their last 10, 8, 1, and 1. That team's very quietly been cruising along. Um, uh, one side note, side thought, the Blues put James Neal on waivers yesterday. Is this it for him in the NHL? Might be, yeah. I, You know, he, he makes nothing. So, you know, you, you wonder with, with taxi squads and stuff, would, would a team in COVID, would a team 
look to uh, to grab him. The Blues, you know, the Blues have a lot of depth. They're a top end team. There's lots of guys in the NHL who might not be able to play on a top end team that can definitely play on a middle of the road or a bottom end team. So um, because his cap hit is only 750, um, it, it does leave me uh, wondering if a team will claim him today. Yeah, I think I'd be surprised at this point. I mean, he was hurt for a chunk of the year as yeah. well. Uh, I, I mean, I, I just wonder what he has left. Um, you know, given what he's gone through the last few years, it feels like it's been war. Yeah, wow. You know, the, the, if, if there's one, the, the one thing, you know, Neil's conditioning a little bit at times has, has been something that they questioned. So we'll find out and who, who knows if that's a... If that's how it ends for him in the NHL, it's unfortunate. Uh, you always prefer players to go out how they want, uh, not with a tenure in the American League. But at the same time, we've seen some veterans go to the American League and then the next year they sign somewhere else on a two-way deal and find themselves back in the National Hockey League because he's not that old. I think he's only 33. Yeah, he's 30. He, I think he's 34 and he's, 34. he hasn't played an NHL game since November 22nd. So out with an injury for a long time. I don't know. Uh, it'd be curious to see whether someone grabs him or not. Yeah. My guess would probably be no. The only mm-hmm. reason he might get claimed is because he's only 750 K. So, right. It's essentially like signing a player for 750 K when yeah. you're grabbing him like that. Yeah, for sure. Now um, to the, uh, to the orders, you've got uh, Mike Smith comes back for two games. Uh, now he's got an upper body injury. It was a lower body before, and uh, he's questionable for tonight. I'd be surprised if he plays um, the Edmonton orders a uh, two, six and two in their last 10 Frank, as I mentioned, they've only scored first in four of their last 23 hockey games. And, and the funny thing is the orders are the only team in the NHL who's undefeated when they score first. The problem is, They've scored first the fewest times of any team. <laughs> like, like this team, they're 10 and 0 when they score first. They're not nearly as good when they don't score. It seems like such an easy thing. But when you look across the NHL, outside of the Blues, and really in the last five years, only one team a year is above 50% in points when they give up the first goal. Like this is a clear, <laughs> obvious thing. I don't care if you're a good team, a middle of the road, or a crap team. You don't win as much. When you don't score first and the orders just can't figure out how to score first more often. They, they feel their way into games far too frequently. So let's start with Smith. Like you're way closer to it than I am. What's your level of concern? I mean, I know the Oilers said day to day and you said questionable for Monday night's game, but when I'm looking at Smith 39 turns 40 in a few months on a scale of one to 10, what's your level of concern that he can be dependable this season again for the Oilers. Yeah. You know what, Frank, that's a valid question. I, I, I would say right now, the odds aren't great. Um, you know, he was out a long time and, you know, was way, he didn't rush himself back at all. There was no rushing back. We've seen guys come back where maybe they're not hundred percent healthy off a shoulder injury. Didn't do that. Came back. And, and in the second game, um, you know, it, it, they say it's an upper body injury, but it sure looked to me like when he tweaked something, it was in that uh, late when he stretched out, in that mm-hmm. game against the Devils. And to me, it looked like it was a lower body. They call it upper body, which who knows what it is. But they also but, said day-to-day last time and ended up out a couple months. Yes, 100%. So that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Is this, you know, is this a, a 9 or 10 on the level of concern scale, or is this something lower than that? Uh, I, for me, I'd probably be around like a 7, to, you know, 7.5. Uh, it's only because, A, he's banged up again, and B, He'll have played, what, two games in, in two months? And the longer you go without playing, the harder it is, whether you're 21 or 31 or 41. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and the other thing is the order is just, they, they can't get consistent goaltending. It's, it's been an issue all season long. And 
you know, for when you're when you're starting your projected starter um, can't be dependable. Right. Dependability is the best ability, Frank. Yeah. And, and that, that's why I asked you, can you hang your hat on Mike Smith at this point moving forward? I don't think they can. Right. I, I think they, you know, that now they haven't recalled Stuart Skinner. That's what that's why I was going to ask you. Maybe that's the best indicator that the fact that they went with Konovalov instead of Skinner, that maybe Smith is closer to returning than not. Yeah. And so that's that was my number one thing, because especially they're on the East Coast, right? They you know, would have had to call them up uh, to get him in on time. And they still could technically today if they wanted to as, as the backup, if they know it's going to be serious and he's not going to play today. Because you don't want Konovalov as your backup because he's not as good as Skinner, right? right. And, and he's not even close. Edmonton can't afford to go into a game and let's say whatever, Miko Koskinen suffers a freak injury in the first five minutes of the game. And now you got to go to Konovalov, who's not NHL ready at this point for anything I've seen. So, um, well, I mean, that, that's the thing Brandon. is you, you you don't want to go on any extended run with with Koskinen as the guy either. Well, if if he wins, they don't care, ideally. But you're right. Um, Koskinen's proven he's better as a goalie when he doesn't have to play as much. Once he has mm-hmm. to play too regularly, then it doesn't work. Now, here's the thing for the orders, Frank. They play tonight. They play Wednesday. But then they had their game on the 8th uh, postponed to the Islanders. So they don't play again until next Monday. Then they have games after that postponed. It it Koskinen could easily play the next uh, few games for Edmonton because he'd really only have to play three games in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I guess if there is one sort of silver lining to all these games being postponed, uh, that might be it for the Oilers. But what's the fix? Like, I look at the Oilers' numbers going into New Jersey. Dreisaitl and McDavid, 10 points in their last five games combined. Really pedestrian numbers for them. Um, like, how do you how do you get this team trending in the right direction again? Yeah, the weird stat where I'd love to look up why um, Leon Drysaddle in the month of December every year has a little bit of a dip. I don't know why. Now you know there, there's been some people who think it's because Edmonton's the most northern city and there's no daylight and you know I don't know how much I'd have to look at somebody seasonal you know, effectiveness disorder. Yes, what do they call who's, that? Who's far more into uh, that stuff? But it is something when you look at his because it's not just a one-time thing. It's happened virtually every year. And uh, and similar to McDavid and really similar to the entire team, the December, they're not very good. So we'll see. Uh, I think maybe they're hoping that that changes this season. But uh, when, when I look at the order's biggest problem at the start of the year, I said the main concern I had for Edmonton was because can they reduce their five on five goals against when you look at the e- one of the easiest projectors to look at for good teams as five on five goals against. There's lots of teams that can be an average five on five goals for. But if you're a five-on-five good goals against team, you got a good chance. And Edmonton, last year they they made a slight improvement down to 2.07. Still not good enough overall, but they have to be under two. If you want, where do they stack up this year? Team, oh, the orders are sitting around like 230. It's brutal. They're not. Good and and where where does five. that rank league wide? Oh, there. I think they're last I checked, and I didn't check today, but last I checked, they were like 27th. So it's, mm. an, it's a main issue again for this team. And there hasn't really been an improvement. And then, now goaltending is one reason for sure. I'll say that. But their their teams this season, what the order's biggest problem is, their own kryptonite is they will what I call gift goals better than any team. And I watch a lot of games. Mm-hmm. They Edmonton will have six, seven minutes of really solid play. And then it's one boneheaded play, boom, and the other team gets an easy goal. 
Edmonton doesn't score a lot of easy goals themselves, right? Like you see highlights of McDavid and Dreisaitl and they're dancing around players. Those aren't easy goals. Those are great high skill goals. Mm -hmm. Then you go look at Edmonton and how many goals they give up where you just have a brain fart at the blue line. You turn the puck over on a pinch that you don't need to. And suddenly it's two to one or it's a three on one or against the blues, a two on O for goodness sakes in the first two minutes of the game. Like that's been, what do you chalk that up to? Is that a mental thing or is that a skill thing? Oh, I think it's mental for sure. Because when when you can when you can play long stretches, like look at the Islander game, for instance. The Islander game in the second period, the order said, okay, you know what? Or in the first, we're not giving up anything. And they didn't. The Islanders had very few chances. Then in the third period, the orders, they decide to, which made no sense to me. They'd finally taken the lead and they, they have one shot in overtime and, and, and the third period. In a game, they were leading by one goal. And they just kept giving up chances. And it's not, it's been an issue, Frank, this year, the entire season. And the thing is, it's every player. So I don't believe it's talent. I believe it's a mental thing. And to me, the order's biggest issue is they might be the most nondescript team in the National Hockey League. Mm. Like, no one dislikes them. There's no player on the team who ever irks the opposition. They don't initiate very much at all. And they've, they've got too much of the same. And to me, nondescript, is nondescript the right word or is it? Um, I don't even want to say vanilla because they, they, with some of the high end skill they have, what, what is it? Yeah. Well, honestly, like to me, nondescript, maybe nondescript isn't accurate, but I look at it this the, they've got McDavid and Drysud who are highly elite. And when they're on, and the, and the funny thing is, the orders as a team have scored five five goals in a game, the most of any team in the NHL by a significant margin, like four or five times more than any other team. So when they're on, they can go, but Edmonton to me needs like they need, but to their get, offense is somewhat average. Like yeah, yeah, even their, in the grand scheme. Okay. Yeah. It's their goals against five on five, which is killing them. And it's been a problem for years and it really hasn't been rectified. I mean, and but bottom like six scoring, right. I'm just looking at, at the overall West and where the Oilers stack up. They're like, they're still fifth and almost sixth in the conference in goals for, oh, and that's yeah, no, with like, the high powered offense. It's because yeah, you're not getting a lot from the other guys when the top end guys aren't scoring. Yes. And, and the well, power plays not clicking too often is, you know, there's their coach says chasing the game, right? Like Edmonton, mm -hmm. when they play in front and they have a lead, then other teams have to take more chances. And that's what Edmonton kill you. But mm -hmm. Edmonton doesn't seem to have the patience to want to play a tight game consistently. They can play for six or seven minutes, Frank, and then they just throw a grenade basically at themselves and it explodes and the other team scores. Hmm. You mentioned the Islanders. Are you still out on the Islanders? Yeah. I don't, They've I, climbed 100 points in points percentage in the last yeah, few weeks. Sure. But like, look at the team who's fourth in their conference, the Penguins. They've won eight in a row. <laughs> like, but that's not, um, that's not the team I'm looking at. All they need to catch is Boston. Yeah, but but even Boston's won their last two games. They're up. Boston was a Boston's up to over six hundred, right? They're yeah, that's and that's the thing. Boston really only needs to tread water to get in. Yes. No, I don't. The Islanders. I'm sorry, Islander fans. I just don't see it. Like, okay. I think the Islanders. I had to ask because they're closing in on the Devils. They're closing in on the Flyers. Pretty soon it'll be Columbus. I I, I just think it's going to be interesting down the stretch. Yeah. Well, you they're, need they're, like one eight game winning streak from from the Islanders, a reversal of fortunes from when they lost so many earlier in the season. And I don't know. Yeah. Like they're eight back of Boston and they played the same amount of games. That's yep. a lot of points, man. Yep. And, and, and keep in mind that historically in the NHL, three point games 
become much more prevalent in the second half of the season, which makes it harder to gain ground on teams. Has there been a less exciting team to make the playoffs than the Boston Bruins this year? I just, I can't like, what is that team? Well, they got see the Bruins got, man, their top line. So exciting. And um, I think the Bruins have, I don't think the Bruins are really as bad as a lot of people think they've played so fewer games than most teams. Mm -hmm. But if you like, they're, they're above 600, like they're, they're, I think they're an okay team. They've had injuries at times. I, I think the Bruins, um, are a team that will make the playoffs. You're, you're right. They're like, they're in a pretty tough division. There's no question about that. Um, so I'm not sure they're going to go very far this year. Cause I don't think they have the depth. They really miss. They haven't replaced David Krejci is really their biggest thing. Mm -hmm. They don't have a second line center. Maybe they'll get him back. Mm, him and Tuka Rask. Maybe. Well, I mean, Tuka Rask is a near certainty that's happening. Mm -hmm. I well, I just wonder about Krejci. Oh, well, it's very possible. It's a, uh, it's very possible that it could, uh, it could happen. I do. Uh, hey, let's go to Vegas quickly. Uh, talking about the division leaders. Uh, they do lose to the jets last night in overtime, but um, their big Jack, loss was Pacioretty. Jack. Uh, well, did, did, I, I saw a lot of, I, I saw the, uh, the conspiracy theory saying, Oh, look, Vegas has Pacioretty out indefinitely just in time to reactivate Jack Eichel. So Pacioretty <laughs> can come back at the end of the season. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that you take out someone that scored 12 goals in 16 games no, this season. I agree. I agree. It's to the, get Jack Eichel in. But it does, um, they can put Jack Eichel in. There's the $5 million they had to clear out, right? You put Pacioretty on LTIR and you could activate Jack Eichel. I mean, it, the math makes sense, but Max Pacioretty has missed more than half your team's games this season and he's still second on the team in goals. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not saying, hey, Frank, I don't buy into it, but I'm just mm -hmm. saying people... Are, are, well, everyone uh, wants to be the conspiracy theorist. Yes, and uh, especially on social media. If you're not, if you're not if you're not doing that, you're not doing it right. Yeah, well, well we could argue that. I think you're doing it wrong. But um, <laughs> I do. when do you think we see Jack Eichel in a game? Uh, I think right before the All Star break. So this month. Yeah, I think late late this month. Late this month. Okay. Hey, speaking of the all-star break and the schedule, we've had lots of games postponed. There's likely going to be more postponed. Um, I, I've talked to some of the Canadian teams and, and about, you know, trying to fit those games back in, in the, in the, uh, in the window of the Olympic break. And there's definitely some openings uh, They, you know, some of the cities didn't have, you know, it's, it's, it varies from city to city. Some teams have, have a, quite a few things booked. Other teams didn't. So there's options to get those games back in. Do you think the NHL is going to do everything to squeeze in all their games before April 30th, or could we see a week or 10 day extension to the regular season? They're trying to do everything they can. And they think at the moment that they can, they're pretty confident that they can fit it all in. And I, I think they've been strategic in terms of how they've decided to postpone games because of some building availability. Like look at, the Toronto Maple Leafs, for instance, they're going to play the Oilers on Wednesday night. And obviously it's a team coming in from the West. So you try and get those games in when you can, the Oilers have been out East for a bit, but it's still going to be played with no fans. And that's still a significant revenue hit, especially for a team like the Maple Leafs, but they haven't postponed that game, not for a revenue reason, but because Scotiabank arena when you look at their calendar has a lot of things going on in February during the Olympic break. So 
other teams that they've postponed games for, they have more building availability then, and they can squeeze it in. And, and hopefully the NHL is hoping that the Canadian government can come to its senses, by the way, the lockdown in Quebec, are you kidding me? Um, that, that they come to their senses and say, Hey, we're going to allow fans in at 50% or we're going to allow fans in at 75% just to give everyone a little bit more room. You know, uh, there has to be some solution here moving forward. You know, this thing's not going anywhere. I, I don't understand the continuous clampdown and restrictions. We have to learn to live with it better. Yeah, well, obviously, I think their fear is is overrunning the the healthcare system, right? That's the only thing that makes sense to me at, at this point. And um, we'll see uh, who's right uh, on that in the probably in the next uh, two weeks. But uh, I'm not sure, like, you know, even in Canada, you've got Quebec doing that and Saskatchewan is going completely opposite, right? So uh, you, you've got a yin and a yang in, in how you approach it. And uh, I, I do think that there's a lot of people that are done with the... Uh, um, going to the extreme of, of lockdowns, I would say that the vast majority of people are sick of that at all. So, um, you know, come up with something because it definitely looks odd where you have some sporting events with no fans and other sporting events are sold out. Full, yeah, full stadium. Like there's, there are none of those restrictions here in the U.S. And I'm not saying we're doing it right or doing it better. It just, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the, I don't know what the right balance or answer is. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not ideal. There's no, there's no question about that. I think everybody's uh, is t- tired of it. And, and hopefully, um, you know, more people that are vaccinated, the numbers always say that then your hospitalizations go down. So obviously that would be the best. I think Ontario had a record number of cases again yesterday and their hospitalization rate actually decreased by 4%. Yes. Which shows you that, you know, the vaccine's doing what it was supposed to do. People mm-hmm. can get it. And now you don't really have any serious side effects and you move on. And, and hopefully that's the uh, the case you're seeing it. Even in the NHL, we, we had right before Christmas, Frank, lots of teams were getting six, seven guys. And, and not like the Rangers had Panarin yesterday and who knows, maybe there'll be other ones, but it seems like it's, it's even slowed down there, which is uh, hopefully a good sign. Unless you play for the Montreal Canadians who played 11 forwards and five defensemen against the Florida Panthers the other day. And they wanted to, but I, you know what, Frank, we've talked about like, these guys are all used to playing big minutes mm-hmm. in, in their lives. Like most players in the NHL were always the best players on their teams growing up. They played big minutes. I think for a lot of guys for one, like to do it for one or two games, I don't think it's an issue. If you all of a sudden, well, I, the Panthers are sitting there saying, Hey, we just had to do this. We just yeah. played 11 and five before the holidays. Don't complain to us. We had one regular NHL defenseman in the lineup in Mackenzie Weger. I tweeted out that stat in the lineup. And some Habs people were replying and saying, yeah, but look who they had up front. That's not what matters. It doesn't matter their skill up front. And, and don't blame the Florida Panthers for, for having better players available to them. Like, I mean, it, <laughs> it, like that's really what it comes down to is the guys that you're bringing up. How are they any good? Yeah, to- totally true. Right. Totally true. We've seen Carolina played with 16, I think two games uh, already this year other teams have played at 17 heck one of Edmonton's best games is when they played at 17 and we're down a lot of defensemen so you there's there's really no excuse uh, ultimately you just play the games and it's it's a short-term thing and away you go um, you mentioned other games like Ottawa's coming out west none of those games are postponed because that's their only western road trip and they just think it's way too hard to get that in so they are strategically looking at which games right. 
can be postponed and which they're not just saying all flames games are all Oilers games that are at home. They're not, they're not just gonging all those games just no. to do it. They're saying, what does the big picture look like? How hard would it, will it be to reschedule? What is the building availability look like later to fit it in? And I believe at the moment they have all the games mapped out to where they want to plug them in. And they're pretty confident that they can do it all. The thing is their only concern is how much more do they still have to postpone? How long are these restrictions going to remain revenue wise? How many more teams are going to pop up where they, you know, get a COVID outbreak and they simply don't have the numbers to play. Um, So they're really kind of waiting to announce that schedule until they know exactly where all the pieces need to fit. Cause it's a lot harder to go back and undo it again. I wonder if we're going to see some games that were like for Canadian teams that were road games in April moved to January and then those home games replaced later on. I've heard that's something they're looking at just because you don't want to all of a sudden have to try to ram in all of the games with the current games in the months of February, March and April. Yeah, no, that's something that they're definitely looking at. Um, Again, part of it has just been fortuitous. Uh, You just saw the Habs go on their Florida spell the Leafs, I'm looking at their schedule here. They're away for a full week. Denver, Vegas, Arizona, and St. Louis. You know, the longer that these teams, you know, the Oilers out east, the, the longer these teams can go um, with their stretch of games in the U.S., it's the perfect time to do it, uh, given the capacity restrictions. And, and I've pointed this out before. It's also not just capacity. It's the fact that concessions are also closed. Yes. No food, no drink. I mean, at a certain point, you're saying, what's what's the point? What are we doing here? The purpose of any business is to make money. And when you're paying your players millions of dollars and you don't have any cash coming in, it becomes a difficult equation. Yes, for sure. Now, uh, we're going to get to uh, Tyler Ramtrick and buy or sell. Then we're going to have a little fun, Frank, as we are into 2022. And uh, we'll talk a little uh, trades after we bring in uh, Ty. Ty, how you doing? I am doing good. I'm doing very good. Happy New Year to the both of you. Time for a new edition of Buy or Sell brought to you by our friends over at DoorDash. My resolution in 2022, cook less and DoorDash will be an important teammate in me accomplishing that goal. You can use the promo code RUNDOWNDD. Uh, Let's start off. Less than zero? (laughs) No, there's not. Uh, which bottom feeder? This is the first one. And we're doing it a little bit differently to, to start things off here. This one isn't a buy or sell, but it's a, which team would you buy stock of the two bottom feeders, Montreal and Arizona by the end of the calendar year, which team will be closer to becoming a playoff contender, which team will be closer to being a playoff contender. So I wanted to word that, which team are you buying stock of out of Arizona or Montreal, Jason? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, geez, I'm getting pennies on the dollar here for sure. And this does a penny stock right now, oh, yeah. hit or miss. Um, well, I'll say Montreal because I have Carey Price and, uh, and Carey Price will come back. And, uh, there's, uh, there's nothing in Arizona. Arizona's got a bunch of draft picks. Awesome. But, uh, draft picks aren't helping you for years. So, uh, I'll go with Montreal because of price. Yeah. That, I mean, that was my reasoning is like, at least Montreal has a Nick Suzuki, for instance, what are we looking like? Who's the comparable? in Arizona. Like who do they really, well, who do they have to build around? (laughs) Brad Lambert maybe, or Shane, Wright. (laughs) I mean, you gotta, you gotta win the lottery to get there. Yeah. And there's no guarantee they do that. Well, I think honestly, both of those guys that saw the world juniors, Frank, um, I, I don't think there's a clear, obvious, like number one, I think there's good picks. I don't think you have to be number one this year to get a good pick. Hmm. Well, 
then I guess you're in good shape if you're the Coyotes. Then is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Wow. They're not in good shape. They're they're in good shape if if you believe that you can get more than one good player in the top of the draft. Yes. Are they in good shape to be competitive soon? No. Fair enough. All right. Second question, similar, but I'm looking out to the New York area and going with the Islanders or Devils, two teams sitting near the bottom of the Metro division. Uh, which one of those two teams would you buy stock in over the next calendar year, Frank? Well, you you heard the beginning of the pod and you know that I'm still not completely ready to com- to declare the Islanders dead. But if I were to buy stock, like, and here's where the, the problem lies for the Islanders is they got a lot of guys on long-term contracts. They already have a pretty old team. Mm-hmm. They're going to be in big, big trouble soon. And, you know, contracts like the, um, like the one that they had signed. Oh God, I'm forgetting his name came over from New Jersey. Kyle Palmieri. Palmieri. <laughs> That one's going to crush you. It's going to crush you. Um, I would take the devils by the way. I I've still am a little bit baffled by the Jack Hughes contract. Like I, I don't understand why, like what, what's why you needed to sign that now. Um, but they have pieces. You see that the little bit of a heater that Nico Heischer has been on. Jesper Bratt's been really good. Hughes. Dougie Hamilton, like they, I, I, I'm buying on the devil's stock. Yeah, I, I would agree. When when I look at it, you have, you know, basically got Beauvillier and 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 Barzell, and you got Noah Dobson on the back end. You got Sorokin in goal, but the rest of that Isler team is pretty old, right? For the most part, Wallstrom's yeah. another young guy, but the the Devils have have much younger prospects. And I think Jack Hughes is going to be really good. I agree. They might've jumped uh, early on, on having to pay him right now. I think you, you could have, you could have waited at least till the end of the year, right? Like if you wait till the end of the year, I know. Let's Hughes say he has a point per game season. It's not going to cost you any more than it did. No, exactly. It's the timing of it. It's not necessarily the cost more of the timing. We'll see if it pans mm-hmm. out, but I think the devils, I like Blackwood and goal. Um, obviously I, I Dougie Hamilton's a solid defender, Hughes, Nico, Heesher. Yeah. If I'm buying between the two of them, I would pick them, but that division, man, it's going to be tough in the, in the, in the coming years for them to, to really be competitive. See, and that was almost my thinking with the coyotes Habs question as well is like the Islanders, you could see them going into potentially a rebuild, right? And they got some bad contracts. Like it could get ugly with Montreal. If they still have somewhere to go downwards, right? Like if this group isn't getting it done, like Carey price isn't getting any younger. It's not like he's a guarantee, like regular season Carey price might not save you next season. Um, I also think there's going to be a, a a reshuffling of the deck in the Metro at some point that opens up a window for New Jersey. I mean, Pittsburgh at some point is bound to go in the other direction. Um, The Washington Capitals, same thing. Although Ovi keeps turning back the clock, you've got Carolina and you've got the Rangers that are, you know, pointing straight North, but then there's still got to be room for the devils in there somewhere. Now I'll say this about the penguins. We thought they were going to go down for years and they just, no, no, it's dude. It's happening at some point. It's, (laughs) it's either, it's either trade deadline this year or it's in the summer. It's happening. They've won eight in a row for the time being. So I'm sure no one in Pittsburgh is thinking sell just yet. Uh, Third one I have for you, Johnny Goudreau eighth in NHL scoring. It's a hell of a time for him to be having the year like he is because he's UFA at the end of the season, buying or selling on Goudreau's next deal being worth more than eight and a half million a season, Frank. I'm selling 
Steve Greeley did the calculation for us, who, by the way, begins his new role with the Dallas Stars uh, in a story on dailyfaceoff.com, breaking down all the comps for Johnny Gaudreau. His calculation was that it was somewhere at 775 on a seven-year deal. I think it begins with an eight, but I if he's getting the term, I don't think he gets to eight five. Hmm. It's a good question, man. Like we just talked about Jack Hughes, and I know that he's way younger, but Gaudreau is on it. He's going to be one of the most productive players ever to hit free agency. Johnny Gaudreau is top 10 in scoring pretty much. I know he had one year down, but, and he's done it without, like when you look, usually it's tandems. A lot of the times when top 10 scores, right? Patrick Kane was kind of the exception he's, I joke that he's the freedom fighter. Well, Johnny Gaudreau is pretty close to that. Like Sean Monaghan's a good player, but he's never been a 90 point player. Uh, not not even an 80-point player. And I look at Johnny Gaudreau. I'm going to say um, there are teams, definitely, I believe, uh, outside of Calgary that would pay Johnny Gaudreau eight and a half. So I say if he takes less than eight and a half, it's because he wants to go to a team where he feels he has a better chance to win, so he's not worried about the 8.5, but I think he'll get 8.5. So Johnny Gaudreau, just to throw some numbers at you, has 326 points in his last 318 games. So the last five years, better than a point per game player. Yep. And he's only missed two games. So I think there's been some question out there. Oh, how will Johnny Gaudreau's body hold up in the long term? He's a little guy. He's had the same questions his entire career. How's this guy possibly going to hold up to the rigors of the NHL? He's barely missed any games in his career. He's missed like 13 total. So I don't have any questions on my end. He turns uh, 29 next summer. That's really where I think the term might limit the dollars. Like what does that deal look like in years five, six, and seven? But in the meantime, he could end up being a bargain if he's you know right in that range. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I was really torn over even setting it at eight and a half because you're right. You look at the numbers and you go, the production's just been insane for him and, and pretty consistent. But then also, you know, cap staying flat. It just makes you think, is anyone going to be able to shell out eight and a half million dollars this offseason or will a contender? Here's my other reason why I think it gets 8.5 and above. Last summer, everybody thought, you know, Dougie Hamilton's line was around 8 million. Well, he ended up getting nine and then every other defense would end up going like 9.5, But who's who has set the market this time around for the forwards? Well, I think it'll be Johnny Gaudreau, kind of like Dougie Hamilton did. Uh, potentially. I mean, yeah, he's been crazy productive. Like, I mean, I know the Jack Hughes deal, like you said, is different because he's young and it's RFA years and all that. But again, if you're Goudreau, you're saying, well, I'm not signing for less than a guy who hasn't proven that he can score in the NHL level. I have proven over a lot of years that I can score at the NHL level. But you need someone to do it though. That's the thing. You need someone to step up and pay you. Oh, dude. Yeah. There's lots of, we can just go through the history of free agents and overpay. You know, everyone says it only takes one. Jeff Skinner got 9 million Frank. Nine, but that was to stay, and that was stupid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> never said it was smart. Yeah, uh, all right. Points bet bonus question to wrap up buy or sell. Uh, we have seen a ton of goals since the league came back from its pause. The over is hitting, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it's up in the 60% range right now. If you factor in the amount of pushes you would have gotten at, uh, at the even six goals. So, tonight, just one game in the NHL, it's Oilers, Rangers, Madison Square Garden. The total is set at six and a half. It could potentially be Alexander Gorgiev and Miko Koskinen in net. 
I'm saying I, I'm taking the over. Are you guys buying or selling on there being a lot of goals tonight in New York? Frank? I'm selling. I don't ah. know. Something off with this Euler team. I don't know. Shesterkin. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm taking the under. Uh, the Oilers and Rangers in November uh, played Firewagon. It was a 6-5 game. I will, uh, I will take the over. The uh, Oilers, um, you know what, uh, they just had that Devils game. I know the Islanders, but the Islanders are boring as sin. They can't score. Uh, the Rangers <laughs> can play Firewagon, they'll, and they'll give up some chances. Uh, yes, I'm going uh, over for sure. Perfect. There you go. That puts a wrap on the first edition of Buy or Sell here in 2022. Always like uh, buy or sell some uh, thought-provoking questions. Um, Frank, we are now into 2022. And uh, historically, there's not a lot of trades in November and December, but you get into January, and especially in the later parts of January, and then into February, trades heat up. Um, the, the obvious team, because uh, I'll go to them, because Tyler asked about them in buy or sell, the Arizona Cowboys. We, we heard mm -hmm. Jacob Chickren's name a lot. I'm not sure how serious it was for him. I still think that's an off-season transaction. Yes, I agree. But uh, Lawson Krause is one, and Phil Kessel. Mm -hmm. They each had four-point games the other day against the San Jose Sharks. Krause is, you know, he's a big forward. Phil Kessel's got a Stanley Cup resume. He's got a pretty high cap hit, though. Um, what do you make of those two in the desert, and uh, if either one of them will stay there past the deadline? I mean, I if I was anyone playing on the Arizona Coyotes, I don't know that I'd be buying real estate in the in the Phoenix metropolitan area given that you, you you may be able to come back later and retire there but i don't know that you'd be setting down roots for a while and i think that extends to a guy like kraus a pending rfa he's had a pretty productive season for a team that really struggles to score 15 points in 29 games so a little better than a half a point per game um there's definitely been some conversation about him um, that has picked up in the last couple of weeks here. I know there was the holiday roster freeze and with COVID going on that really put, you know, really quieted down any conversations teams or managers are just trying to get their teams on the ice. Um, so I do expect trade talk to heat up, but Kraus will be a guy that'll be on our trade targets list. Hopefully later this week, we'll have that out on dailyfaceoff.com. Okay. So on Friday, we're going to focus on that uh, a little bit more, a little bit of a teaser on what's coming up on uh, on daily face off this week um the other thing frank the uh, the world juniors uh, they're they're postponed and uh, there's lots of talk that they'll they'll uh, fire those up again later this year same with the uh, the women's u18 they'll try to get those as many of those tournaments played as they can but i don't know if did you read the story coming out of calgary with the uh, the the juniors in russia and the czechs getting uh, i did read that yeah smoking some cigs i love it what what are they, Ally Afridi lighting up between periods? Like what? Like Mary what year is this? Yeah, but it, yeah, it's um. Well, when you're asked not to do it to stop and you don't, like then it's just you know, I, like at that point, I'm wondering like where's the coaching staff, right? Like, Apparently, the coaching staff was in business class. Oh, wow, jeez! But they were point. also hauled off the plane because they were part of the group. Yeah, yes. So it's not uh, that's not a great look. I'll be curious. Um, when the world juniors, if they do get replayed, I, I do they both do they deserve to be in Canada again this time if they replay them? And I'm not saying well, general commentary as a whole, I'm saying given what the Canadian government, the pressure that they've put on society as a whole, but particularly now with another sporting event bringing in more teams internationally, I know this is Canada's game and all that. 
Should it be somewhere else? It might be, right? I, I think it'll probably de depend on, they want to keep in mind, Frank, you talked earlier about it's a business, right? Um, this, this one wasn't shut down for health and safety. Let's make that, this was shut down because of business. Main, like that was just as much of a reason. You would have had to cancel more games for sure because more guys would have got it. That was obvious. It was starting to spread. The, you know, there's no question about that. They but it was health and safety that was directed by the government because the stipulation that was in place from the government was once someone tests positive, that the whole team needs to be shut down. That wasn't an IHF rule. That was coming directly from the government that they had well, to well, negotiate. Well, are we sure? Because when the orders have a positive test, the whole team. That's 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 different. That's not that wasn't the stipulation with these teams coming in internationally. Oh, OK. Well, um, to me, that's part of it. Sure. So the games would have had to be shut down. But make no mistake the the lack of fans, the lack of no food and beverage in the building, I, I believe, played just as big of a role. Right. They, because but if it really was about business, you had already had the expense to bring everyone here. Yeah. But you, but then you, but you're not recruiting. And the expense to put on the games. Well, right. But either way, it was sunk cost. You, you were pot committed at that point. See, I, I don't buy for it. one second that the reason that these games were canceled is that it's for business. They would have, I think, they would have preferred to just motor on through and get it over with and get it, get a champion awarded gold medals distributed. And they couldn't do it. They knew that there was an integrity of the game issue. Yeah. How do we determine the quarterfinal standings who plays in the quarterfinals, which teams need to be, which teams need to be essentially ejected from the tournament because of health and safety protocols. There was no way to, to really award a gold medal in any fair fashion. That's what no, they, I, that's the decision they came down to. Well, what if, what if one team would have had six cases? Right? Are they going to play their all? No, the you're done with 15 skaters. No, like, no, that's you, the point. Like, it, it, that, but that's what I'm saying. The the protocols and restrictions that were put in place by the government, one test should have made them not be able to play. Let alone six, they had no chance to play. The government wouldn't have let them play. That's the way the protocols were written. So they might have been able to get some sort of special exemption, but the way the protocols were written, they couldn't possibly ice the team. No, no, I agree. But let's just say if they had, let's say they had NHL protocols, mm -hmm. the way this one spreads, one team gets six guys, they don't have a farm system. There's no one they can call in, right? So then the games are screwed. I think that was a part of it that um, there were so many factors involved. Like, but to your question, I don't think it will be in Canada. Um, but it should it be, be I, I'm asking more of a philosophical question. Yeah. They've had two cracks at it now. It was supposed to be somewhere else this year. Yeah, it's well, it's going to be somewhere where the federation, whoever it is, if it's USA Hockey or whoever, is willing to foot some of the bill, right? Like we learned all that. Like the Edmonton Orders were the ones who they foot part of the bill, but they also have the chance to make the money back in food and beverage, right? Right. So you've got to have a partner in the United States, let's say, or maybe they go to Europe. But it's a tough is, ask. It's a tough ask in the US. Like there are only so many markets that are interested in hosting something like that especially in June or July. It's right? the, the, the number is really small. Yes. So that's why you have to find places that are willing to put up with the money because they believe they can make it make financial sense. I just think you need to put it in a place that has a viable chance to actually succeed with the help of the government. Yeah, no, that's fair. Well, I, th I think um, by the time June comes, I'm sure there'll be. Oh my uh, God, we've been saying this for two or three years now. By the time this date comes, by the time uh, I'm not, I'm just saying in general, 
every time we turn around, it's like, oh, well, by then everything will be back to normal. Like, no, it's not. Yeah. Well, but they're, they're learning more. They just change regulations in some places already. Right. Like I agree with you. It's frustrating as heck, but you, it goes back to business for me, the world juniors, all of these tournaments come down to having someone who's willing to put up the money. And it's not double IHF who puts up the money, right? It's the host who puts up the money. So they mm -hmm. got to find a host who's willing to do it. It's tough. To, it's a tough ask. It really is. Yeah, I, so I, I put, how, what percentage chance do you give the world juniors for this year actually being completed? I would say like a 55. Okay. I was going to say I'm, I'm at like 30%. Yeah. I'd say at 55, they were, they really want to be for a variety of reasons. They don't want to go without having it. Um, but I also know this Frank that they they won't be able to just have the world junior they're going to have to put on the women's u18s and, and they better teams. and i'm curious if they find a way to find a place where they can host both at once it's to me it's just it's a lot more difficult to do both at the same time are you saying in the same place well no like like let's say you had edmonton red Deer. like you could have a split two places that you know you have Half the women's, you have one women's group in one place, one men's group in one city, and another city that's close enough is doing the other two, and then they converge for the medal round. Yeah, I don't know. That's just more people in one spot that can potentially spread the virus, more hotels you need, more everything. I don't know. It'd be difficult to pull off. It's an interesting idea, but I also think it would be disappointing for the women's game in general that you potentially are having it be overshadowed in the same city by the world juniors, which is part of the problem anyway. Yeah. Well, I, but you look at it, well, on a, on a national scale in, in Canada, when they used to put the Vanier cup as the same weekend as the great cup, it actually got way more exposure because you had way more people there already covering it. Mm -hmm. Right. So there is the argument that you, you could get more exposure and you know, the women's game always talks about, Hey, if more people see it, then more people like it. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all about that. More eyeballs. I just wonder if that's the best way to do it. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure. I don't, I have no idea if that's even ever been discussed, but I just, I want like to me now I'm, I'm there's so many the things court. on the hockey calendar to yeah. again, put it up against, put the world juniors up against the playoffs. Like, I don't know. I, I don't even know if it's smart. Yeah. Well, I how many players want to play and potentially could get injured right before the draft? Like uh, there's a lot of things that go into it, but does, when you look at like the NHL draft, First of all, the majority of the world junior guys are already drafted. They're 18 mm -hmm. and 19. There's only going to be a small percentage of, of draft eligible players playing. And for those that are draft eligible, if they're playing in this tournament, it's the, it's the one last hurrah before the draft to showcase your stuff. If you get injured, does it really, is it like if you're Brad Lambert or Shane Wright and you get injured? So unless being number one or number two, like maybe you're three or four, does it really change? Like, I don't see a team because those guys might not even be NHL ready in the fall anyway. When you look at historically how few guys go directly to the NHL, I, I don't think an injury because they could have got injured at the World Juniors right now. I don't right. think it'd be much different. Mm -hmm. No, that's fair. Yeah. So just because there's so few guys, but a guy like Owen Power, if he goes to Buffalo in, in March, when we assume, right, NCAA season's over, and he plays 20 NHL games, does he go back to the World Juniors? That's the more interesting question for me. I, 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 I don't see any reason to. Yeah. But. Yeah. Like Cole Perfetti. Unless it's something like finishing off something that you started and the chance Fair. to win a gold medal. But other yeah, than that, 
it just it doesn't even it doesn't even feel right. It would feel so. I know there's a Stanley Cup awarded in September. But it doesn't feel right to have the World Juniors played in June. Yeah, no, it's totally valid. And how many eyeballs? Like, how many people want to watch hockey at that point? Yeah, it's totally fair. Total fair question, right? I think it just comes down to: Do they feel they can get some money back and recoup it and make some money? And if they do, then they'll have it. Uh, last one, Frank. Before I let you go, because it's we're halfway through, well, close to halfway through the season. Is Alex Ovechkin the leading candidate for the Hart Trophy today? I would say yes. Yeah, it's hard to argue, man. Like he's he's right. You got McDavid, but you're Dreisaitl. also asking it at a point in time where McDavid and Drysaddle have not been that exceptional the last few weeks. Yeah, but they're still first and second in scoring. It's just, but but Ovi's been with those guys for the last three weeks, one or two points behind them. Yeah, right. It's uh. It's really amazing. Like outside, that's because who, they haven't been that exceptional. Yeah. But who are the other candidates, really? Is there anybody else, or are those the only three? I tend to think that they're the only three at this point. Yeah, because I was looking over the weekend. I'm like, like there's good teams, but I'm not sure I see another one where there's a guy who's like a, a clear candidate right now. That's an obvious one. I'm like, maybe no, I'm missing someone, but I, no, I don't think you're missing someone. Like I, I Kaprizov has been special. Stamkos has been really good. I mean, I don't think this is the year where a goalie jumps up and grabs it. Like Vasilevsky has been great again. Frederick Anderson has been outstanding, like, but not nothing like out of this world that you're pounding the table for a goalie for heart. Like, I think it's kind of just those three guys and there's such a gap between them and, the next group of guys 10 points back that it's kind of a clear cut cross section at this point. Mm. Well, it'll be fun. Now that uh, episode was brought to you by fans first.ca and uh, you can go there because guess what? It's for the fans first, no fees. So when they get back to games in Ontario and Quebec, be the first fan to get your tickets there. Uh, 50% in Alberta right now, you can go to fans first.ca, get your tickets there. And at no fees, that's a huge savings. Only place to do it. Frank, we will talk to you on Friday. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? 
For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.